Good morning, church family and ministry friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to our online, internet, around the world church service. And let me wish you today a very, very happy Resurrection Sunday morning. Praise God. It is Passover and Christ has truly risen from the dead. The tomb is empty and Jesus has ascended to heaven. Now we know that he did this about 2000 years ago, but I tell you what, we are still enjoying the victory today that Christ has made available for us. Praise God. So happy resurrection Sunday to you today. I want to invite you to grab your Bibles and meet me in Matthew chapter 25. We're going to bring the tithes and the offerings into the storehouse of the Lord. Let's look at a scripture that will give insight into God's plan for our finances. And as we look at this scripture, I would like to address a very good question that sometimes is presented to me by curious Christians who uh, see various dynamics in the church, and they have asked this question before. I thought, let's touch on it today. Here's the question. Pastor Stephen, what about Christians? What's the situation with Christians who don't tithe, but yet they have a lot of money? Well, as we answer that question, let's first keep it within that context, which is a reference to Christians, those in the body of Christ, because outside of the church, you see many uh, people that have a lot of money, millionaires, billionaires, multi-billionaires seem to be becoming more common today. Even billionaires that don't just have, uh, you know, two or three billion. We're talking those now 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 billion dollars of personal net wealth. But we know that Jesus said, what does it profit or what advantage is it for a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? So we as believers, we have no jealousy, no envy of looking at those in the world, regardless of how much money they have or fame or fortune. It doesn't mean anything if you don't have Christ because, because life, my friends is very, very short. Even if you live to be 120 years old and may you live a long life, but even should you live to be over a hundred, it's still just, just so fast. And even if you had all of this world's wealth, uh, you look at these people today that have a lot of, lot of money. Many of them, of course, are in their 80s and so forth. And you know what? It's, it's almost completely over. And when, you, when your life ends, you step into your eternity, which is either one of two places. You're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. And based upon whether or not you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior will be the deciding factor in that. So I, I have no uh, uh, envy of anybody that has a lot of money that's not saved. I have no, there's no attraction towards me for that at all. Neither is there that maybe we could call it envy or like admiration for those in the body of Christ who may, maybe they have it, but they're not tithers and they don't honor the Lord with their finances. And let me say this. I, in my ministry travels over the years of going to many different churches and speaking in a lot of different conferences, not only in America, but around the world, and also having been raised in the church, I would have to say this, that Christians who have a lot of money, but they don't tithe, I've noticed they all have one thing in common. They are all stuck 
on a baby entry level of spirituality. And you might think, well, Pastor Stephen, why is that? Well, it's simple. The, the, the core thrust of the Christian life is this, the just, and what I mean by the just are the righteous ones, those in Christ, the just shall live by faith. And when you're not walking by faith, you're not walking in kingdom principles or kingdom dynamics. And so you may have used your faith to have received Christ, but you're still, uh, unless you begin to get into the faith walk, you're not going to understand very much about God or his kingdom. Thus, that's why many are stuck in this very uh, young level of spiritual infancy because they're, they're not tithing, they're not engaging kingdom ways of living. Tithing is a proof of our trust in God. I like to say it like this. Tithing is trusting. Let me say that one more time. Tithing is trusting. Why do some Christians not tithe? Regardless of whether they have a little money or perhaps millions and millions of dollars, why do they not tithe? Answer simply is this. They don't tithe because they don't trust God in the area of of finances. Now, maybe they've trusted Christ for their salvation uh, of the, you know, they they're, they're born again, but in this one area uh, of finances, they're not letting loose. They're not, they're, how can I say it? They're taking Christ as their savior, but in the area of finances, they're not taking him as their Lord. Praise the Lord. So the reason they don't tithe is they don't trust God. They trust themselves in the area of finances. And again, this disobedience blocks them from a fuller expression of kingdom enjoyment and also kingdom advancement. I've never met ever, ever one time in the church. I've never met a non tither who can move in the spirit. Never. I've never met a non tither having visions, having supernatural encounters, prophesying over people. I've never seen it happen one single time, nor have I've ever met a non tither full of the spirit in the sense where they have that joy, that perpetual joy. Well, that only the Holy spirit can supply. So it is true that tithing for the Christian, it secures your destiny. Pastor Stephen, what do you mean by it secures your destiny? Well, the fulfilling of your destiny or actually accomplishing and finishing what God has assigned for you as an individual believer will be concluded when you pass through to the other side and you hear the words from Jesus that we all long to hear, which are found in Matthew chapter 25 verse 21. And here they are. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, isn't that what we all want to hear when it's all said and done? We want to have concluded, completed, wrapped up our assignment on earth. We want to have secured and completed our destiny. And those words would denote that his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So 
Tithing secures your destiny. Can you imagine going through your entire Christian life? You never tithe <laughs> ever. And you even tell people don't do it. And you're, you're just against it. And you have no heart for the church. You have no heart for the ministry work. You have no heart for God's purposes. And, and so you, you're, you discourage others from, from tithing or even from giving. And can you imagine, uh, you know, getting to the other side? Because you're still a believer. And you get to the other side. Can you imagine Jesus saying, well, uh, it's just not going to come out of his mouth. Now, he would say, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you made it. You know, I shed my blood for you. You put your faith and trust for me. And, you know, welcome home. But as far as well done, good and faithful servant, that is for those who have done well. That is for those who are faithful and have been uh, good in the areas that God has assigned them to. Woo! Praise the Lord. Let us never forget that when we step back and look at tithing, tithing is not for God's benefit. It's not like God's thinking, you know, I sure hope that Everybody tithes. All, all my people are tithing because if they don't, I'm going to have to lay a few angels off and we're going to have to call a recession. No, <laughs> you know, that's never going to happen because God, he's not in this, this realm of lack. Those things can't touch him. So tithing is not for God's benefit. Tithing is for our benefit. It allows us to step into the elementary principles of faith it allows us to come into a covenant with God where we have a financial platform of stability and strength and tithing secures for us an eternal inheritance so that when we cross over, we don't just make it. We make it with an inheritance. We make it with an, a, a uh, reward because we live for him down here and we're directly involved in the support of his kingdom works and initiatives. Praise the Lord. So my friends, that's my prayer for you as a pastor. And for those of you that you have other church, uh, another church home that you belong to, but you still like to come here because of the teaching. That's my prayer for you that when you finish your life and it's all said and done and you reach the other side, you hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And by the way, this is in context of stewardship over finances. Woo, praise God. And I believe, I believe you're going to hear those words, and I believe that you are a covenant practitioner of the Word of God, and that involves tithing. Now, having said that, let's bring the holy tithe into the storehouse of the Lord. Praise God. If you would like to mail it in, please send your tithe to Stephen Brooks International. P.O. Box 717, Moravian Falls, North Carolina, the zip code 28654. And as it comes in through the mail, the mail office, the post office is only about 40 yards from here, praise the Lord. So it is coming into the storehouse, praise God. Those of you that prefer to bring your tithes and offerings in online, it is very safe and secure, very highly encrypted. And you can do so anytime, day or night, and from anywhere in the world. Please visit our ministry website, stephenbrooks.org. There on the homepage is, a, 
it's the header that says give has a red heart on it. And you can click that right now and bring your tithe in online. Praise the Lord. Father, bless your people as they're honoring you with their tithe, as they sow seed, as they are living for you, walking by faith. I thank you that they're going from faith to faith. I thank you that their finances are glowing from glory to glory. I thank you that their financial portfolio and their financial world is going from strength to strength. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. Bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen. I have, a, I have a feeling in my heart, there's a few of you that you've been on the fence with tithing. You've heard some wrong information, and you've heard some good information, and you're, and you're kind of thinking, what should I do? You should do what the Word says you should do. Praise the Lord. Engage God in tithing. Mm-mm. Watch what God will do for you. Praise the Lord. All right, let's take our Bibles today, and we're going to talk about today's Passover message. We're going to be in Acts chapter 12. Mm -mm. Thank you, Jesus. Acts chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 1. I sense the anointing of the Holy Spirit very strong today. Praise God. I would like for you to pay careful attention to God's Word, because it's the way out for you. God's Word, anointed by the Holy Spirit, is the way out for you and the way into something really good. Woo! Praise God. Hallelujah. Father, as we jump into Your Word, we ask that Your Holy Spirit would quicken the Word, that it would jump into us. Woo! Father, we praise You for the strength and power of the Rhema Word. We thank You that this world was formed through your creative word that you spoke. The universe was formed through the creative word that you spoke. And we thank you that your word is coming forth today with fresh anointing by the power of your Holy Spirit. Let it fall upon our ears. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Now we receive your word with great gladness. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Let's agree and say, Amen. Acts chapter 12 Verse 1, now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Well, here we have Herod mentioned, he's the king. But you have to understand, of course, there's different Herods that are mentioned in the Bible. This Herod is actually the grandson of Herod the Great. And while Herod the Great, now Herod the Great built the temple that Jesus went into, and he built it uh, there on the Temple Mount, and kind of, you know, of course, did the great expansion project, continued on with the temple that Zerubbabel had had rebuilt after the Babylonian captivity and so forth. So Herod the Great was a phenomenal builder, a very wicked man, but he was a very good builder. Now, this is not Herod the Great that's mentioned here. This is actually Herod Agrippa, the grandson of of Herod the Great. Now, Herod Agrippa, who is mentioned here, his father's name was Aristobulus, and he also was a king. And he kind of had a falling out with Herod the Great, who was actually his father. So Herod the Great killed King Aristobulus, uh, who's actually Herod Agrippa's father. So it's, it's not 
Not a good situation when your grandfather kills your father. <laughs> so all of these Roman leaders, they're all living on a knife's edge. Uh, there was always so much mistrust. There was um, conspiracy stuff constantly floating around. And while uh, the Roman rule was very solid at times, um, it was a very dicey situation. So while these men were, quote, kings, Woo, they were always looking over their shoulder. There was a lot of paranoia. There was a lot of fear about overthrows and coups and stuff like that. And uh, that was certainly the situation there in Judea uh, where Herod was reigning. Now, Herod Agrippa mentioned here, he actually rules his father's former dominion. And this is the area of Judea, which would include Jerusalem. So it is a very volatile area. Uh, Herod Agrippa was actually a Jew, and he was extremely knowledgeable of all the Mosaic law and of all the Jewish customs. But while he was a Jew, and while he is king over Judea, don't doubt for a moment his loyalty to Rome. He was 100% committed to Rome. Um, he was raised for many years in Rome with Caesar's own son. And they were friends, and so he has all of the paganism of Rome, all, all of the ideology of Rome, all of the emperor worship of Rome sewn into him as a Jewish man. So he has that ability as a Jew to relate to the Jews there in Jerusalem, particularly to the leaders, because he can talk to the Sadducees, and he understands all of their doctrine and stuff like that. But he is a loyalist to Rome 100%. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. The word harass in the Greek actually comes from the root word evil, and it means to treat badly, to hurt. It can even mean to kill, and that's certainly what is going to happen here. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now, a Jewish execution would have been done with stoning. So we see that this execution is done with the sword. So this is something that's carried out an execution through uh, Roman civil authorities. And this is execution by the sword. And that was a very, uh, for many reasons, that was a very intimidating thing to the Jewish people. Execution by the sword when they saw somebody get executed by the sword, they're like, whew, that's, that's, not a, that's not a good way to die. And that was part of the intimidation factor that the Roman authorities brought with them. They wanted to intimidate. They, they ruled with um, fear and intimidation. And that's also just the devil's old playing card. Whenever the devil uh, would uh, have these uh, totalitarian type regimes and, you know, dominating governmental authorities throughout history, wherever it was, they would always, you know, be crude and uh, crass and uh, not, not one ounce of sweetness ever. Uh, it's kind of reminds me of the Gestapo. It's like one lady said who was, you know, this one lady, lady would hide some Jews uh, in her house and, you know, the, the Gestapo, the secret police, they were always looking for you know, uh, Jews that were being hidden or political figures that were being hidden, maybe in people's houses or whatever. But it's like the lady said, they were never just come knock on your door. Nope, they have to walk up the stairs and with the big, 
you know, uh, you know, uh, boots. They stomp. This. They don't just come up the stairs. They have to stomp up the stairs, and they don't just knock on the door. They have to pound on the door. So everything is intimidation. Everything is over the top. And, of course, that's the way Herod's men acted as well. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. It's hard to get a real good feel for this intimidation and this total totalitarian lockdown-type culture unless you've been in it. We only get little taste of it here in the West. And we could see very quickly how it could go off the deep end with some of the leaders that we have that would like to take it into certain areas where there is total domination. And, you know, you, you would st start to see these types of things all play out all over again. Uh, we do believe that the Lord's not done with America. He's still going to do some good things. I actually think the enemy has overplayed its hand. And we're going to see the Holy Spirit begin to move. Some good things happened uh, or are going to happen. But, my friends, there in Jerusalem, the heat was on. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. So you have James and John. You have the 12 apostles. We know that Judas committed suicide. He was replaced with Matthias. But out of the 12, James is the first to go. And he goes as a martyr. And isn't it fascinating that his brother is the last to go? <laughs> so these brothers are pretty cool. And actually, Jesus prophesied to them both that this would be the way that their lives would end. We actually see that. Let's take a look at that just for a moment in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. Matthew chapter 20, uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter 20, and that would be verse 22. Praise the Lord. But Jesus answered and said, uh, speaking to the brothers and also to the, the mother, she was there with them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup? that I am about to drink and be baptized or immersed with the immersion that I am baptized or immersed with. They said to him, we are able. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but is for those for whom it is prepared by my father. So he did tell them, yes, you're going to indeed drink my cup. You're going to be baptized with the same baptism I'm going through. So, yes, they did. So uh, there was death for following the Lord. And they went all the way with the Lord. Praise God. Now, let's move on to the next verse. Praise God. Verse 3, and because he saw, Herod saw that it pleased the Jews. Oh, <laughs> this guy's a total politician. He's bought, paid for, he's totally sold over to the purposes of political gain. He wants to fit in. Wow. Uh, Herod, he has zero interest in justice. He's not out to protect the innocent. Those things are totally irrelevant to him. The teachings of the apostles, uh, such as James or Peter, all of that's irrelevant to him. It doesn't even mean anything to him. All he's trying to do is he's trying to stay in good relations with the Jewish leaders because he wants stability there in Jerusalem. He wants those back at headquarters, those back at Rome to know he is a good king. Now, he's a tetrarch. He's ruling over a certain region. He wants everybody to know that his kingdom is stable and that 
He's doing a good job. He doesn't want anybody showing up from Rome saying, hey, we're going to have to replace you. You know, it's too unstable. The people don't respect you. No, he doesn't want that. Why? Because he's in, this is his position, and there's tremendous wealth. There's tremendous power, and he doesn't want to give that up. So part of that is being able to play to the crowd, play to the people so that they'll be cool and you can have this toleration. And remember, there's hatred. Uh, the Jews hated the Romans. Why? Because the Romans are imposing their culture and their culture came directly from the Greeks. The Romans were fanatics about Greek culture. They loved everything about the Greeks. Now they destroyed and wiped out the Greeks, <laughs> but at the same time they did that, they loved their culture. And so they're taking all of that paganism and all of the, all of that idolatry and they're pushing it heavily upon the Jewish people and of course, that's total uh, contradiction to monotheism or the worship of their one true God. But uh, so there's there's this love hate relationship thing going on here. So uh, Herod is trying to play it to his advantage now, because he saw that it pleased the Jews. He proceeded further to seize Peter also. So he takes Peter. He's going to go for it big time. He's like, well, I'm just going to go get their head guy. And so he goes against Peter. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. This is very, very important. Now we see in Exodus chapter 12, verse 15, the commandment for the Jewish people to keep the feast of Passover, the feast of unleavened bread. Verse 15, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation. And on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this day... I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first day, on the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. Now, this is uh, taking place during the days of unleavened bread. These are seven days immediately succeeding Passover. I think it's helpful to visualize Passover as being uh, an event that takes place on one day. And to make it even simpler uh, or easier to comprehend Passover, Passover also is basically one meal. Really, it's, it's a one-day event, and it's a one-meal event. But this, the Days of Unleavened Bread, actually takes place over a seven-day period. Now, they overlap, the Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread, but this is these seven days. Now, this is very, very important for you to understand. Right now, we are in the Days of the Unleavened Bread. And we are in this feast day moment. Praise God. Passover and unleavened bread moment. And so we are in a spiritually significant time. These feasts 
are eternal. Now the feasts are fulfilled in Christ. And at the same time, as we study the feast and keep the spirit of the feast, which is the celebration of Christ, then my friends, we tie in with the anointing that is upon these special days. Woo, glory to God. And the anointing of the Holy Spirit is upon these special seasons. Praise the Lord. So we are there right now. Now let's jump back to the book of Acts chapter 12. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. That's verse three, verse four. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Now, these four squads of soldiers, we have a total of 16 men. Four men would be on each shift. And you are never allowed as a Roman soldier to go to sleep on your shift. If you were caught, it meant death penalty, no exceptions. So they, and they all knew that. So this is very, very strict. Now, Peter would have been assigned to four soldiers and you have 16 total, but they work as shifts so that the four are always very fresh and alert. But from these four soldiers, Peter would have been chained in between two of them. There would have been a soldier on his left and that soldier's right hand would have been chained to Peter's left hand. There would have been a soldier on his right. That so soldier's uh, left hand would have been chained to Peter's right hand. And this, those soldiers did it like that on purpose because in their other hands, their empty hands, they could still hold a sword. And uh, this is something that they were trained to do. The other two soldiers of the four would be stationed as sentinels to watch over the prison dungeon in which the prisoner was kept so that he's not getting out of there. There's no way he's getting out. There's a lock and there are guards. And so, and Peter's just locked completely. So it looks like he's in and he's never going to get out. Now, Herod wants to bring him out after Passover and again, you see the, re the religious politician working here. Herod wants the Jews to be happy. And the, the, the feast of the Lord were festivals, and that denotes joy and happiness. So he wants them to be happy because when they're happy, then everybody is, uh, everything's going smooth and there's no fighting and, uh, you don't have to bring the army in. You don't have to turn your soldiers loose on the people. Everybody can keep functioning along and everybody back in Rome. Here's how good of a job that King Herod Agrippa is doing. But Herod understood that with these feasts, particularly Passover, which is a gigantic feast, that he doesn't want the minds of the Jewish people to be on a criminal case such as uh, uh, Peter. So he's going to bring him out afterwards. But trust me, when he's going to bring him out, he already knows what he's going to do to him. He's going to kill him. He's going to kill him immediately. Don't doubt it for a moment. Mm -mm. Now, let's find out what took place here. We are now in verse 5. Peter was there, therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer. And in the Greek, it, all, it also implies fervent prayer. 
So this is not real soft like prayer meeting. This, these are some intense prayer meetings going on here. But constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And again, it's hard to replicate an atmosphere like that unless you've actually been in it. Or you, you're living a situation like that. Let, let's say that you heard Pastor Stephen is arrested. I, I'm not here. And you're like, what happened to Pastor Stephen? And you hear, well, they, they hauled him away for preaching the gospel, and they're going to kill him. Well, praise God that there, there would be prayer uh, in any pastor, any apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher that the government would lock up. Yes, we're going to be praying for that person's deliverance and well-being. So that, uh, th th this is Peter. This is Peter. This is the, the leader of the 12. This is the one that the Lord invested so much into and also prophesied that he would live to be uh, an old man, that he would live to old age. Praise the Lord. So it's, it's not looking good, but they are fervently praying. And we need to be available to pray. Praise God. Mm -mm. We need to be people that are able to move quickly and respond to prayer. Hallelujah. Don't, don't clutter your life up with so much stuff that you can't, you can't um, hit your knees. You can't break away and pray should it arise. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Verse 6, and when Herod was about to bring him out, mm -mm, I mean, this is close. This is close. Did you ever notice that God likes drama? <laughs> you, can, you can't have a good movie if there's not drama. You can't have a good story that you read if there's not, you know, this building, building, and then. So God really knows how to allow this thing to work out. You know, when you read throughout the history of the church, there have been those brilliant writers that knew the Lord that came to a mutual conclusion that if you step back and look at it, really Satan, who is a defeated foe, but yet has uh, certain elements of authority in the earth because he is the prince of the power of the air, and he's, he's the prince over the unbelievers, not the Christians, but the unbelievers, and because of that, he's able to uh, pull strings and influence evil people to do bad things and so forth. But so many theologians, Christian writers, mystic saints have stood back and realized that in so many ways, Satan is no more than God's mule. It's like he's an instrument. He's a tool that God can work through to uh, accomplish purposes that glorify the Lord. And when Satan thinks he's trying to destroy, when Satan thinks he's trying to do something that he's going to get the victory and going to get the real laugh, he doesn't know that God's going to turn around and God's going to do something amazing. So uh, the devil, uh, he, uh, he so often overplays his hand. And we're going to see the Lord step in and do something extraordinary here. Now, and when Herod was about to bring him out, and he's going to bring him out, and he's going to kill him quickly, as soon as this Passover is over, and this is the last night. This is it. It says here that that night Peter was sleeping. And I think that's beautiful. I do believe that Peter, in his heart, although he doesn't know how this is going to play out, I do believe that he was asleep because he realizes his ministry is not over with yet. So while the soldiers could be snickering, 
and saying, enjoy your, you know, maybe, you know, maybe taunting, saying, enjoy your sleep. This is your last night on the earth or whatever the case might have been. I'm sure Peter had a confident resolution within his heart that said, well, it may look like that, but you know, the Lord prophesied to me personally how my life was going to end. And he said, I would live uh, to be an old man. And so I'm not there yet. So he's asleep. He's asleep. But yes, was it a, a serious situation? Very, very serious. Now, Herod was about to bring him out that night. Peter was sleeping. Whoo, praise the Lord. I like that. And he's bound with two chains between two soldiers. We've discussed that. And the guards before the door were keeping the prison. These guys are well trained. They're doing their job. Mm -mm. You know, I think the devil thinks he's got some of you trapped in a way that you'll never going to get out. He thinks they'll never ever get out of this dungeon. I've put them in. They don't have a key. They don't have the power. They don't have the, the ability. They, they just can't do it. And he laughs and he snickers and he taunts, but you know what? He's overplayed his hand and something is about to happen. This is the Passover anointing. That's where we're at today. This is the feast of unleavened bread anointing. That's right where we're at right now. And there is a similar anointing that is going to be released into your life. I want you to get ready to receive it. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right. Verse seven. Here we go. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him and a light shone in the prison and he struck Peter on the side. Well, in a sense, he didn't strike him hard. It's just basically gave him a good thump to wake him up. Mm -mm. You know, how many of you like the underdog, especially when you don't like the champion, let's, let's say the champion's full of pride and arrogant, you know, but yet that's the champion, but the underdog is humble. I just feel that, um, I mean, who would have, who would have thought Peter's going to get out of this, but there are those that, that think your situation's not going to change, but I'm telling you, God has invested in you as a winner. God has invested in you as a champion. And you have something to say. You have something to accomplish. You have something to do. You have the worth of Christ in you. You have value in you. You have the seed of Abraham in you because you're in Christ. And my friends, you're about to rise up to victory. Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. God's an expert in turning situations around that look completely, uh, you know, hopeless helpless and impossible. An angel of the Lord stood by him and the light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up. So he gave him some help, pulled him up saying, arise quickly. Now, this is a dangerous realm. This is still enemy territory. This is a very, very dangerous place. Anywhere where the enemy has his turf, be on the alert. There is a realm in the spirit realm, in the second heaven. Now, Satan is called the prince of the power of the air, and he has his strongholds. They, they are literally up in the air. They're castles, they're fortresses. You can't see them unless the Holy Spirit opened your eyes, and the gift of discerning the spirits was in operation. But... 
that realm to be that in that realm in the spirit is a very, very dangerous realm. I've been in that realm before. And if you're going to do something in that realm and God takes you into that realm and you've got to move quick because it is a very dangerous realm here. We see that here also in the natural, this is the devil's turf in the sense. And, and Peter's right in the middle of it. And so the angel says, Hey, we can't be taking our time in here. Get up quick, arise quickly. Mm-mm. And when your moment comes to move, praise the Lord. It's not the time to take the camera out and take a picture. Don't, don't, don't worry about no pictures. Move, praise the Lord, get going. And he says, arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Who praise God. This, this is incredible stuff. His chains fell off his hands. Well, the two soldiers have been somehow supernaturally put to sleep temporarily. They were in a deep sleep. And as Peter stands up, those chains fall. Now those chains are going to make a lot of noise. <laughs> Thump. And, and clink and be clink, and they fall to the ground, but nobody comes to look. They have all fallen asleep. The miracle is taking place. Glory to God. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. Now, my friends, don't ask the angels to tie your shoes for you. And don't ask the angel to help, help put your coat on. You do what you can do. And the angels are very good at doing what you can't do. Praise God. God expects you to give your best. God expects you to push. But when you have done all you can do and make sure that you do all you can do, then, then God steps in. But even when the angels come in, you still have to do your part and work with the angels. Don't try to get angels to do your stuff. Let them do their stuff. Mm-mm. Praise God. So we have to be able to work with them. Praise God. Then the angel said to him, gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did not the angel. He did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. Woo. Hallelujah. Stay close to that angel. One thing's for sure. Do not <laughs> lose sight of that angel. Follow me. Yeah. Yes. I'm right behind you. Let's go. I'm ready to get out of here. Woo. Praise the Lord. Now you get ready for verse nine. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought, but thought, he was seen a vision. Praise the Lord. I'm here today to tell you that God told me to tell you that it's about to get real in your life. Now, Pastor Stephen, now hold on just a moment. Pastor Stephen, I had a vision. And in the vision, I saw myself go, now hold on. Hold on. You've had enough visions. Well, wait just a minute, Pastor Stephen. I've had a dream. And in the dream, I saw myself go free. That's nice. That's nice, but you've had, you've had enough dreams. God told me that you've had your dreams and you've had your visions, but God told me to tell you it's about to get real in your life. Woo. Praise the Lord. I'm not talking about a vision. 
You've already had that. I'm not talking about a dream. That's nice. Dreams are good. But I'm talking about real. I want you to stand up right now and say this as an act of faith. Say, it's about to get real in my life. We're talking real deliverance. We're talking real victory. We're talking 180 degree turn in some situations where it looks like there's no way out. God's going to turn it. Praise God. It's about to get real in your life. That child that's not serving God, lost in sin, mocking God. It's about to get real. That child is going to come back to the Lord. That business that just will not get off the ground. Watch God touch it. Praise the Lord as you honor him and live for him. Watch what God is going to do in your life. Praise the Lord. I'm talking about God's intervention in your life. Praise the Lord. Notice again that Peter here in verse nine, it says, so he went out and followed him and did not know what was done by the angel was real. Peter didn't think it was real. But it was thought he was having another vision, another glorious vision of victory. No, and it wasn't a dream either. It was real. A real angel pushed him, pushed him. Wake up. A real angel pulled him up. Oh, it's a dream. No, it's not a dream. It was a real angel pulled him up. Mm -mm. And the chains fell off. Well, that was special effects. No, that's real. That's called a real miracle. Some of you have never had a real miracle ever happen in, to, in your life, ever. It's about to get real. Mm -mm. Thank you, Jesus. When they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. Wow, there it is. It's real. You're out. Well, is it a dream? I better pinch myself. It's, it's real. It's real. Now look at this statement. And when Peter had come to himself, I see you coming to yourself, realizing, wait a minute. Did that phone call just happen? Did they just tell me that report? Did that email that I'm looking at? Is that email real? Yep, it's real. The phone call's real. The person's real. The blessing's real. The miracle's real. You're going to have to come to your senses. You're going to have to come to yourself and realize it actually happened. God actually did it. Hallelujah. When did it happen? On Passover. What's going on right now? Passover. When did it happen? On the Feast of Unleavened Bread. What are we in right now? The days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This is the anointing for this season. It's time. It's time for it to get real in your life, just like it did in Peter's life. And it's going to happen. Mm -mm -mm. Praise the Lord. Woo. When Peter had come to himself, he said, now I know for certain. And you'll say the same thing. I know for sure. This ain't no dream or vision. I know for sure. I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. Verse 12. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And they were praying. You know, one preacher said they were praying in unbelief because 
when Peter knocks on the door, they didn't think it was him or anything like that. No, they were, they were praying in total faith. It's just that God answered so far above and beyond what they were asking that it just, it just blew them away. This is Ephesians chapter three, verse 20 type stuff where God just does beyond how we could even thought he was going to work it out. They never, they never, while they were praying, thought God's just going to walk him straight out. Chains are going to fall off. So it just, it just stunned them. So they were praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel. What I'd be like, well, if this angel's knocking that loud, don't you think we should let him in? <laughs> I, I think we should be like, well, if it's his angel, what's his angels doing here? Somebody let the angel in and say, come on in. Mm -mm. The very fact that they would make a statement like that, it's his angel, tells us that they had insight into the angelic ministry. Praise the Lord. Now. Verse 16, Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. You're going to be astonished, too, at how it's going to get real in your life, in your own astonishing way. Everybody's miracle is different, but it is still a real miracle, and all miracles are astonishing. Praise the Lord. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent. Pretty good idea to do since you're the you're the new uh, hot topic. You're you're the new number one guy that the the whole nation in a sense is going to be after. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, "Go tell these things to James and to the brethren." And he departed and went to another place. What's, what's the another place? Uh, a, lot of the, a lot of debate on that. Some say this is actually when he went into a secret trip and he actually ended up on his journey where he eventually ended up in Rome. I don't know. Some theologians say he went to Rome. Others say that he just uh, he hid in the area until things cooled off a little bit later on. Uh, and he just went low profile, but some others say he actually never left Jerusalem. I'll let, I'll let the theologians kind of debate that because it seems that scripture is silent and there are some old church letters that were written in the first and second century, uh, that address this, but that's a different topic, but a fun topic to study in your free time. And he departed and went to another place. One thing he did know is I'm getting out of here because this is hot. <laughs> they're after me. Oh yeah. They're going to be after you. All right. <laughs> Woo. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers. I can imagine the soldiers the night before mocking him, laughing at him, ridiculing him saying, Hey, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow. Don't you? Mm -hmm. Well, now they're in hot water. As soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. I mean, how did he get out of the chains? How did he get his wrist, his hands out of the chains? None of it makes any sense except for God's miracle power. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Very quickly, let's close things out with the life of Herod. Verse 21, so on a set day, Herod, 
Herod Agrippa, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. Now, those that actually witnessed this in church writing say that, or also ancient Jewish text and letters from antiquity and so forth, say that when he gave that speech, he was wearing a certain type of clothing that when the sun hit it, it caused a reflection. He had a lot of silver on and it, it just hit him. And with all of that sun reflecting off of him, they said it made him look like a deity. And uh, uh, plus he was giving a real smooth talk. He was a real good talker. So on a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting the voice of a God and not of a man. So you put those things together. He's talking really smooth to them. He's a good orator and all the lights on him. And he's got these clothes and all this reflection. And they were saying the voice of a God and not of a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him. Because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. Now, when it says that immediately an angel of God, excuse me, an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died, I used to think, well, he just fell down dead, and worms ate him up, and worms were coming out of him. But it didn't actually happen that way. Now he was struck immediately by the angel. And the moment he struck uh, the death process begins because worms come in. But those writers who were alive during that era said that it was actually a two year death of absolute agonizing torment. The worms just ate him up, ate more and more and more, just kept eating parts of him and uh, body parts just getting eaten up. And this went on for horrible. It was hell on earth for him for two years until he finally just died from it. Wow. He was eaten by worms and died. What a filthy, wretched mess. We know where he's at today. Woo. Praise the Lord. But my friends, this is Passover Sunday. This is the feast of unleavened bread. The enemy always overplays his hand and the final result of the enemy will be the lake of fire. But we, my friends are in Christ. And even though we go through many temptations, trials, challenges, and difficulties, we go through in the name of Jesus in the blood of Jesus, praise God. And even though there have been many who have even tasted the sword and the martyr's death and various forms of torture and persecution, nevertheless, we are more than conquerors in Christ. Praise God. And God has told me today to tell you that your situation is going to change. God told me to tell you that he's about to get real in your life. Oh, I know you already know the Lord. I know you're saved, born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, but I'm talking about his power coming into your life. And you're going to see him do something that you can never do on your own. Something glorious, something weighty, something beautiful, something where a miracle is involved. The Lord instructed me today on Passover to receive a special offering. This is a Passover offering and everybody listening under the sound of my voice, the Holy Spirit wants you to sow a special Passover seed and th this Passover seed. I want you to name your seed. Every seed has an identity. Every seed has a name. Every seed has an assignment. A tomato seed is going to produce tomatoes. 
A watermelon seed is going to produce watermelons. This Passover seed is going to be called, It's About to Get Real. For the first time in your life, you're going to sow a seed called, It's About to Get Real. And my friends, you're going to sow it on Passover. You're going to sow it right when Peter came out. And you're going to have a, It's About to Get Real miracle take place in your life. Mm -mm. Are you ready? Praise the Lord. Now on Passover, God, the father sowed his best seed. He sowed his son gave his best. And I want you to sow your best seed today on Passover. You know, my wife and I were also sowing our best seed into the ministry. I'm talking about with our personal money. And there was something that I thought I would like to do something. I had some personal money. I thought I would like to do something with that, uh, something for myself. That's, you know, that's what personal money is for. But the Holy Spirit said, you take that money and you sow it into the work of the Lord and you will be blessed. So this is also a seed I'm going to be sowing as well along with you. I want you to sow your Passover seed and we're going to call this seed. It's about to get real seed. Woo. Praise God. And you're going to have a harvest. That's going to be very, very unusual. Praise the Lord. Husbands and wives pray, talk together, come into agreement about the seed amount that you should sow. Let me pray for all of you that are watching right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would speak to the heart of the viewer of the listener of what they should do to sow their seed called it's about to get real. And I thank you, Father God, that you will give them, instruct them, that you will give them the number, the amount that they are to sow. And I thank you, Father God, that they're going to have the same amazement that Peter had, that where he was astonished, he actually thought it was a vision. He didn't even think it was real. He had to come to himself. They're going to have a miracle happen in their life. Now, Father, as they prepare right now to sow this seed, I just thank you, Father God, that the anointing of Passover, the miracle anointing that rides on the eternal feast established by you, that that anointing will touch their seed with resurrection power. And I thank you, Father God, they're going to have a miracle. They're going to have a miracle. I thank you, Father, that as your servant, I speak into their lives over that seed that they're sowing right now. And I say, I pronounce a miracle harvest over your seed. It's about to get real in your life. And you're going to see the miraculous. Praise God. Father, I give you praise. I thank you. Father, let the angels be released right now to bring the miracle, to bring the miracle into their lives. Now we thank you that we will do our part. We will pray. We will pray. And we will certainly cooperate with any angel. Should an angel show up in a sense where we could see or receive instruction or guidance. We thank you, Father. But I thank you, Father, even if the angel is not seen. The angel is coming. The angel is coming to you, to your house. For a miracle, bringing a miracle. I thank you, Father God. And the angels are also going out to work miracles. Woo! Praise God. Praise God. To bring something in, to bring something back. Father, we give you praise. Father, bless their seed. Bless their seed 
with miracle anointing, resurrection power, the resurrection power of Christ. We thank you, Father. We thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you that we have a Savior. We thank you that we have an eternity with you. We give you all of the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, those of you, of course, that are sowing your seed, if you want to bring it in online, you can do so. Please go to the ministry website, stephenbrooks.org. Click that link on the homepage. It says giving, and you can go right into the general fund. Make a note and just type in, this is your Passover seed, and you're calling your seed. It's about to get real. Mm -hmm. Those of you that would like to mail in your seed, please send it to Stephen Brooks International, P.O. Box 717, Moravian Falls, North Carolina. Our zip code, 28654. Make a notation on your gift that this is for the, the seed. It's about to get real. You're giving moves the ministry forward. It moves all of the outreaches, all of the efforts of the ministry forward for the glory of God, for the reaching of souls and for the building up of the body of Christ. Thank you on behalf of my wife and I and our entire ministry team. Thank you for sowing your seed. I believe you're going to see a miracle in your life. And I want to hear what God does for you. Praise the Lord. Now, if you're watching today's program and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is very, very serious. You're not going to live forever. Nobody does. You're going to have to face the end of your life eventually. Life is very fleeting. And my friends, once your life is over, you don't get another opportunity to choose. You must choose now. Why don't you be like Joshua? the great leader of Israel who said, as for me and my house, he's basically saying, as for me and my tribe, we're going to serve the Lord. Why don't you make that decision today to say no to the devil? You've served him long enough and sin and the slavery of sin and come out and come out just like on Passover. The, the Israelites came out of Egypt out from under the rule of Pharaoh, who was a type and shadow of Satan. And came in to freedom. If you would like to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer out loud. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. But you died to save sinners like me. Jesus, come into my heart. Save me from my sins. Wash me with your precious blood. Write my name in your book of life. I take you by faith. As my Lord, Savior, and King, right now. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. I give my life to you. In your name I pray. Amen. And amen. Let me be the first to welcome you to the family of God. The Lord bless you. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Now, let us rejoice in the Lord today and take Holy Communion. Whenever we take communion, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Hallelujah. And by proclaiming his death, we are proclaiming the great accomplishment that was done for us through his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension at Calvary. So let's grab some unleavened bread. 
during these days of unleavened bread. Leaven was a type, a symbol of sin. Let's grab some unleavened bread. Let's grab some grape juice. Let's pray over this. Father, we thank you for the bread and the juice. We bless it. We consecrate it through this prayer. We thank you. This is now the body, the flesh, and the blood of Christ our Savior. Oh God, we give you praise as we receive the flesh of Jesus, his body. We thank you that he endured the agony of the cross, that he endured the receiving and the bearing of our sins upon himself so that we could receive redemption through his sacrifice. We thank you, Father, that for thousands of years, a Passover lamb was slaughtered to cover sins and also to be, to be a reminder of the exodus out of Egypt. And so we thank you, Father, that Christ, the Passover lamb, was slain for the forgiveness of our sins. And Father, as we receive, as we receive his body, we thank you for what Jesus did for us at Calvary on this day. We thank you for his death for us. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's partake. Hallelujah. God did such a miracle that when Peter was knocking on the door, they couldn't, they, in their wildest dreams, they never would have guessed it was Peter. Some of you are going to have some unusual knocks on your door. You're going to be shocked at who comes to your door. It's going to be a miracle, a good miracle. Praise the Lord. That word is not for everybody. That's for a few. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. They're not even going to announce they're coming. They're just going to show up. Hallelujah. It'll be the person that you most desire to see. Father, we give you praise. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you that our sins and our iniquities, you remember no more. We thank you, Father, that when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins. Thank you, Father. We believe it. And we receive it. So, Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. We ask that if we have committed any sin, that you would wash them all away. And we forgive anybody, anyone who has sinned against us, regardless of what it was, we forgive them. And thank you, Father, we bless them and we go on in our journey with you, our walk with you. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. We receive the blood of Jesus now in his name. Amen. Let's receive. Praise the Lord. As your special seed comes in, your it's about to get real seed comes in. I will take it. If, it's, if it comes in through an email format online, it will be printed out. I will take it, hold it. I will pray over it. If it comes in through the mail, I will take it. I will hold it. I will pray over it. I will bring it before the throne of God in heaven and present it to him as a sacred special Passover offering and ask God to do something in your life. That's truly 
miraculous. I believe your seed will speak in the most significant way. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Lift up your hands. Father, bless your people on Resurrection Sunday. Bless your people on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Thank you, Father God. Let them know your goodness. Put a smile on their face. <laughs> As even Peter was swept off into hiding, smiling the entire time. And the enemy once again overplayed his hand and was defeated. We thank you, Father God. You're taking your people on to victory. And they will be taken into sweetness and to knowing your goodness. Thank you, Father. We thank you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I'll see you back next time.